You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Rule number one, don't get involved. Such a simple rule, really. But here I am, sitting in a mall in Paramus, New Jersey, and I'm getting frustrated, annoyed, disappointed. 83% of humans are predictable creatures of habit who get stuck in routines and lifestyles and addictions, or who go through their lives swapping one addiction for another. My 83%. My humans. All five and a half billion of them. The mall is one of the best places to go to see human nature at its best. Or worse, depending on how you want to look at it. Men and women, teenagers and children, shopping, eating, gossiping, filling up the vacuum of their lives with retail therapy and empty calories. My favorite malls are old school. The ones that aren't as big as Sri Lanka and still have food courts with Orange Julius, Panda Express, and Hot Dog on a Stick. In the United States, there are twice as many shopping centers as there are high schools. And the shopping malls replace the church as the temple of cultural worship. In a society that encourages its citizens to measure their worth by financial success and material possessions, American humans spend more of their income on shoes, watches, and jewelry than they do on higher education. Sure, it keeps greed and envy busy, but it makes my existence a living hell. Back when humans were still in their hunter-gatherer phase, existence was all about survival, fulfilling the basic needs of food, clothing, and shelter. So it's not like there were a lot of options for better living. Food wasn't prepared by Martha Stewart, clothing didn't come with a Calvin Klein logo, and shelters didn't require Ralph Lauren curtains with a matching duvet. The thing about humans is that they're addicted to products. Habitual consumers, indulgence abusers, gratification automatons, programmed to need and want and buy, MP3 players, Xboxes, PlayStation 3s, TiVo, surround sound, high-definition flat-screen TVs, a thousand cable channels with movies and music and pay-per-view. Distracted by their desires, overwhelmed with their needs and wants, they'll never remain on their assigned paths, their optimal futures, their most beneficial fates. That's me. Capital F, little A-T-E. I set my humans off on their paths at birth, assigning fates that range from career criminals to CEOs of oil companies, which really aren't that different when you think about it. But no matter how promising a fate I assign to someone, movie studio executive, second-string NFL quarterback, governor of California, the majority of them invariably screw it up. It's human nature to underachieve, to not live up to one's full potential. Granted, there aren't a lot of delusions of grandeur with fate. You don't get awarded a Nobel Peace Prize or become Stephen King. And when someone's future involves mental illness, drug addiction, or a career in politics, I can't really expect any pleasant surprises. Once I've assigned a fate, that's it. That's the best I can hope for. But that doesn't mean things can't go wrong. Within each human's pre-assigned fate, there are significant moments of decisions that will determine if and how they stay on their path. Choices that influence the way they go about living their lives. With integrity, with compassion, with greed. Every one of these choices one of my humans makes requires a reassessment of his or her future. A reassignment of his or her fate. And at every choice, I get to watch the vast majority of them make the wrong decision. As I sit on a bench between Foot Locker and Aeropostale, eating my hot dog on a stick and drinking my orange Julius, I peruse the assortment of my mistake-prone humans and their inevitable failures. There's a 19-year-old jock with a cell phone and a GameStop bag who could have a successful career as a utility infielder for the Philadelphia Phillies. Instead, he'll be fat, bald, unemployed, and masturbating three times a day to Jugs Magazine when he's 32. The 21-year-old Asian evangelical Christian proselytizing to shoppers outside of Bebe will find, that the man of her, find the man of her dreams when she's 30, but she'll be filing for divorce and having sex with men half her age when she's 45. And the 11-year-old kid with the short hair and angelic face devouring a chocolate glaze from Dunkin' Donuts has the potential to be a wonderful father, but instead he'll be thinking about molesting his 5-year-old daughter when he's 29. It's times like this I wish Death and I had a better relationship. Sure, the 11-year-old is just a kid. But at least I could save his daughter the lifelong trauma and therapy if I could get death to help me out. But that would be interfering, which is a definite no-no. Not to mention the cosmic ramifications of preventing the birth of his daughter. Plus, death and I aren't talking, so there you go. Instead, I just sit on the bench and eat my hot dog on a stick and watch the endless parade of future sexual miscreants. Not every human being has some kind of sexual hang-up or disorder or desire waiting to be realized. But most Americans do. 
This probably has something to do with the fact that the United States demonizes sex and represses sexual energy. Personally, I prefer the Italian and French. To them, sex is just a part of their culture. Speaking of sex, down the mall, about halfway between me and Macy's, beyond the T-Mobile kiosk and a steady flow of future-challenged Americans, a plume of red hair is making its way toward me. I'm hoping it's not who I think it is, but, ben, but then the crowd magically parts and beneath the red hair is the beatific smiling face of destiny. Perfect. This is just what I need to cheer me up. The immortal personification of all that I'm not. All that I covet. All that I'm denied. Think loathing. Think resentment. Think malignant tumor. How's your wiener? Destiny asks, sitting down and eyeing my hot dog on a stick. The thing about Destiny is that she's a nymphomaniac. She's wearing a red tank top, a red leather miniskirt, a pair of red go-go boots, and a perpetual smile. She's always in a good mood. Why shouldn't she be? It's not like she has to spend eternity dealing with child molesters and chronic consumers and more than five and a half billion other screw-ups who can't seem to get their shit together. Contrary to what most humans think, destiny and fate are not the same. Destiny can't be forced on someone. If they're forced into their circumstances, then that's their fate. And fate has a morbid association with the inevitable was something ominous that is going to happen. His fate was sealed. A fatal disease. A fate worse than death. I mean, come on! How much worse can it get than one-upping death on the dystopian scale? Destiny, on the other hand, is divinatory in nature and implies a favorable outcome, which generally carries a much more positive connotation. Destiny smiled upon him. She was destined for greatness. It was her destiny. Can I have a taste of your meat? Destiny asks, projecting such passion and beauty that I just want to smash the rest of my unfinished corn dog in her face. Fate predetermines and orders the course of a person's life. But even though my humans make decisions along their paths that can have an adverse impact on their futures, they don't get a say in their reassigned fates. You don't get any choice with me. I'm not into collaboration. Think solitaire. Think autoerotic. Think Henry David Thoreau. And even if I wanted to help, even if I wanted to offer some guidance or make a suggestion or give a subtle hint, I can't. The whole free will manifesto. Humans have to be allowed to make their choices and live with the consequences. Think of my humans as disobedient children who don't get a say in the severity of their punishment. But with destiny, her humans are more involved in the process. For without a subject's willful participation, there is no destiny. Her humans choose their destiny by choosing different life paths. They can still make mistakes, but we're talking two Oscars instead of three. Maybe a Pulitzer instead of a Nobel Peace Prize. Think of Destiny's humans as honor roll students who get to choose whatever college they want to attend. I should have read the fine print on my job description. How about letting me suck on your straw? asked Destiny. I'm busy, I say. Why don't you go bother diligence or charity? Oh, come on, Fabio, she says. I'm just having some fun. Whenever Destiny calls me by my pseudonym, she always draws out the first syllable as if to mock me. Not all of us have pseudonyms. Destiny prefers her given name, while Death has adopted the name Dennis. Most of the seven deadly sins have noms de plume because no one really wants to be called anger or envy or greed. All of the seven heavenly virtues have embraced their formal names, except for Temperance, who prefers everyone just call him Tim. So when did you get back? asked Destiny, twirling her hair with a coquettish flare and looking at me with big bedroom eyes. While she's not as big a slut as Lust, she definitely has her moments. I don't know, I say, finishing off my hot dog on a stick and sucking down the last of my orange Julius until I'm slurping the bottom of the cup. A couple days ago. Most of us call New York City home, though we're not here year-round. With more than six and a half billion people on the planet, we have to be fairly ubiquitous. Anyone else around, I ask? Remorse and hope, she says. A few of the deadlies, of course. And I hear Prejudice is trying to put together a poker game, but he isn't having much luck. The thing about Prejudice is that he has Tourette's Syndrome. Destiny and I sit on the bench for a few minutes in silence, watching the mall zombies stagger past, their primitive brains thinking about threesomes and iPods and Cinnabons. Interested in some non-contact sex? asked Destiny. Destiny may engender intense feelings of loathing and envy in me, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't like to watch her peel off her red miniskirt. Sure, I say. Your place or mine. S.G. Brown is the author of Breathers, A Zombie's Lament. His new novel is Faded. Thank you for joining me, Scott. No, it's my pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for the, the opportunity. You know, when I read this book, I absolutely heard your voice reading it to me. It was very strange and eerie having heard you read from Breathers. And 
this makes me think about just creating the prose voice for this. This is a book told entirely in the first person by Fabio. Fabio, our fate. When did you come up with this voice? Because it's very different from the voice and breathers, but it's still recognizably Scott Brown. I don't know about the voice. The The idea came to me in two parts. The second part was when I was sitting at sitting at a mall uh, <laughs> on a bench in, in July of 2004, and I was watching people walk past, and I was sort of wondering what their futures held for them. So I wrote a scene about this character who can see what people's futures hold, and I decided that he could see them because he was fate. And so I started to sort of write this little scene. I didn't introduce destiny in there at all. Uh, I did have the whole sexual hang-up thing going on at that point, and and it continued to be a little bit of a theme, obviously, when destiny came along. But as I started writing, I, I came up with the concept of, of splitting fate and destiny because of that differentiation because you never hear somebody say that they suffered a destiny worse than death or a fated for greatness. I, I never, you never do. People don't use that term. So to me, there seemed a definite distinction and, and creating the, the different characters and having them sort of be kind of a yin and a yang to, to one another where fate is unhappy with his job and destiny loves her job because all of her humans make her happy and and they and they fulfill their destinies whereas his don't live up to their full potential it it created the story that would drive it forward in terms of him being upset and gradually starting to get involved which of course is rule number 1 don't get involved and and that that set that up for him and the story to sort of move forward with that that whole dynamic going on you know for how funny this book is and how, how it's it's hilarious from beginning to end and how funny the prose is and how great your humor is it really is a pretty interesting book philosophically in terms of this battle between free will and fate and destiny and i think this encompasses a, a lot of paradoxical thinkings that all humans have on one hand our emotional selves want to believe that there's something beyond us guiding our lives shining out in the darkness there's some thread that where we came from that leads to where we're going to be and that's kind of our emotional take on it. on the other hand we just you know you go to work every day you look at the tv you say okay you read science it's quantum universe it's completely chaotic and we're just all ambling through this you know we're big bunches of electrons and molecules kind of that happen to by some fate do not fall apart into protoplasmic lumps on the ground <laughs> so i think we he, everybody has those two threads in them and i love this way of the what you've done is to like uh, by creating these characters that are characters we can hear talking you've really externalized this kind of inner debate that all of us have I don't. I don't know when I sat out to write it that I necessarily planned that. Because <laughs> uh, I, I, I always tell people that I'm when the way I write. Actually, Robert, Robert Heinlein. Uh, there was a quote I read by him about plotting, and, and one of his his. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, you know, his idea of plot is a character reacts to certain circumstances and they move forward and 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 try to overcome those circumstances. But he said he doesn't know how you can plot anything out if you don't know how the characters are going to react to them and how do you know how the characters are going to react to them until you get to know them. And so he can't plot out because he has to to get to know his characters first mm -hmm. and then figure out what they're going to do. And that's kind of the same way I do it. I always say I'm like Indiana Jones in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm, I'm making it up as I go. And that's how I do. I don't necessarily know how I'm going to get there. I just know how... I just know where I want to start. Mm -hmm. And then as the story starts going and the characters start talking and I start discovering the characters, they let me know really kind of where the story is going to go. But so I, I, I don't necessarily have a, a big plan and grand scheme when I sit down, which is nice because I'd hate to try to fit, have come up with the concept of a theme <laughs> and then try to fit the story around it. It's sure. nice if, if the theme and the concepts develop out of the telling. And that's what I found both with Breathers and with Faded is that is that those things have developed out of the storytelling. So going back to your point about the, the, the differences or the, the two different trains of thought, I think part of the thing I, I do address is, is that I, 
I have the fate and the destiny and, and karma and, and, and attributes and emotives and seven deadly sins. And I have all that in there. But I also have I also have God mm-hmm. uh, overseeing everything. And I reference a lot of things that happen in the Bible. But I also reference things that happen in Greek mythology as it all being true. Mm-hmm. And whether or not I believe it or don't believe it, that doesn't matter. And whether or not you don't or not, it just it was fun to to approach it, be somewhat irreverent with it uh-huh. um, and to. And to sort of put it all together and see how it worked. Well, that's one of the things I think you do really well is to put it together in a, and you make us believe this and you make us work, make it work. And I think that's by virtue of your character's voice and the way you develop um, each of these attributes, fates, gods, and give them all, and God himself, Jerry, I give them all uh, characters. So talk about the, the, and it's often said and largely true that the, the real gripping factor of any novel or piece of fiction are the characters and so you've taken on quite a task here to create characters out of death destiny sloth gluttony temptation lust trust wisdom justice secrecy luck anger i mean (laughs) this is this is a big cast of characters talk about uh as you explored this universe you created uh, starting sitting in a shopping mall, um, talk about creating all these characters. This must have been kind of fun. It was, and 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 again, when I started writing, I didn't know that I was going to have fate having lunch at a deli in Manhattan with <laughs> sloth and gluttony, and I didn't even know I was going to have God as a character. Um, and a lot of the rules and everything came up as I wrote it, and a lot of it came about in rewrites. I had mm-hmm. to, I had to differentiate between, I. I Going back, taking a step back real quickly, I had Fate and Destiny, and Destiny came along in that first chapter. Mm-hmm. And then I just started to think, well, it seems like they would share their immortal existence with some others. And I thought, okay, well, karma seems likely, and, and death, obviously. And I started thinking about the deadly sins and then the contrary virtues. And and I and as I went <laughs> along, more and more came up, and I actually started to, to create little groups of, of emotives, that I call them the emotives, and they're the emotions like love and 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 I don't know, passion would be in there, and uh, uh, you know, happiness and anger. Who actually doubles as the deadly sin? Um, I, payroll actually has him as a deadly sin, so he gets paid a little bit more. Um, but then I also have attributes like honesty. Honesty is an attribute. Integrity is an attribute because it's not an emotion. So I have honesty or attributes and motives. I have intangibles, the intangibles like Lady Luck and Fame and Chance and Serendipity. So although not all of these characters actually show up in the book with speaking parts, they at least are very are referenced. And so I didn't plan on any of this at all. As I, I wrote that, it just it started to come about. Chapter 2 uh, is, is still with just Fate and Destiny, but then he gets called away to God and I end up having a chapter where he's he runs into Lady Luck and then Death is there and then he's having lunch with Sloth and Gluttony and it just it was a lot of fun to have the interactions with him because then you could really see the characterizations come out mm-hmm. and, and I did and I did make each of my immortal characters have some sort of of fatal flaw to, to, <laughs> to some extent really fun. And, and, and some of them came about just easy and, and it was just it just it's what came to my mind. Sometimes I had to think about it a little bit. Sloth was easy. He was narcoleptic. Uh, death, I decided he was necrophobic. He was afraid of touching dead people. Um, <laughs> destiny was an infomaniac. Uh, uh, love is codependent. Prejudice has Tourette syndrome. So they each came, something that didn't necessarily relate to who they were, but had some sort of correlation to mm-hmm. it or, or something that made it amusing and playful to, to work with. You know, your prose is so clean and so polished when we when we read these books. It seems like there's not a single word in there that absolutely doesn't need to be in there. Or maybe a few you could put in if you were feeling generous sometimes. Uh, talk about uh, your rewrite process just in terms of cleaning up the prose. It, does it do your books like when you first finish it? Is it twice as long as as what we read? Or no, not really. It's it's pretty much there. And actually, I'll read through you know now, and I'll re- I'll be reading. And I'll say, oh, well, I, I could have left this word out or these words, you know, and I and I could have said the same thing. So there are things I realize I could have left out. Uh, I think, at least for me, I was going to say I think every writer, but at least for me, I'll 
I can go back and look at something two years later and and my, my book breathers and as I'm reading it and I, I can I can omit things because mm-hmm. I know that they're not necessarily necessary to to the narrative mm-hmm. um, now I, I, I with faded some of it just poured out of me some of it was a little bit more grueling but uh, in the rewrites I don't the book is about 80,000 words. It's about 82,000 words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and for those who don't know, 250 double space times New Roman 12 point is what you get <laughs> on a page. So 250 words a page, double spaced, is what you get. So, you know, 10 pages is 2,500 words. And so you can go from there. But it was it was around that same amount when mm-hmm. I finished the first draft, I don't have drafts of a hundred thousand words and have to rip stuff out, but I am an overwriter. I will put more information in it than I need, but as I go through and I rewrite, I yank stuff out that mm-hmm. I realize is unnecessary, but I find some other things to put in there to help either clarify the story or to improve it. You know, obviously it's, it's always trying to improve it. And, and I always think that it can be fixed. Um, but no, I, I, I don't end up writing a ton of stuff and having to yank it out, at least not with, with my first two books, I I end up I end up just finding the things that work and and adding a little bit more in there. I, I did add in a, a chapter or two in here, and there was one chapter that I always wanted to be in here that had him at a Toys R Us, but it just it didn't seem to work with it. And I <laughs> I took it out, put it in, took it out, put it in, took it out, and I finally said it needs to just stay out. It it, it doesn't work. I really love the chapter. But it doesn't really work within the the flow of the story. Well, you better put it online. I think I put it in as a blog post. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Now, talk about uh, developing Fabio, you know, uh, choosing his name. That's a... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you, you read this, you say that name, but there's just one image that has to come to mind. I'm very sorry to say. Yeah, I, I know. And, 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 and I, I thought about that when I came up with the name, but the name just stuck. I, I, I wanted a name that started with an F and, and, and preferably an F.A. Like originally Sloth was Seth, but I just realized that calling him Sloth made more sense. And Gluttony was Gus. So it, it sounds kind of like their name. And Fate... You know, I, I I didn't want to go with Frank or Fred because that didn't seem to make a lot of sense. I didn't mm-hmm. like the FR sound. I wanted it to be FA. So I, I did this list of, of names, and there was obviously a lot of uh, Middle Eastern names that start mm-hmm. with FA, like Fayed. And I'm like, no, that doesn't work. And and then I found some some other names that were kind of an Irish descent, and I can't remember, Fagan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just like, no, that doesn't work. And Fabio was one of the first names up there, and that's Italian. Mm-hmm. And I just went, you know, Fabio kind of works. And so I <laughs> well, just, it I could kind of work. I, yeah. I mean, you know, we get it. It makes it easy for us to see him at least. Yeah. <laughs> but he, you know, he, he does. And because they're immortals and, and you find this out, they, they go around wearing human suits, a man, mm-hmm. man suits and, and woman suits that, that mimic humans so that they don't freak people out in, in their, in their true form. Mm-hmm. And you can order upgraded man suits. And so he ends up getting, you know, an upgraded man suit that, that has six-pack abs <laughs> and a sculpted hairless chest. So he does end up, you know, going a little bit towards that sort of model-looking thing. But he never has the, the, the long-flowing hair. I don't really have that in there. And, and, I, and I, I don't really reference this, that, that it's the same name as mm. the famous Fabio, the one that everybody thinks of. And, of course, people think of this as you know some kind of a contemporary romance because of the name fabio and i'm like no it's not (laughs) there is a romance in it and it does you know mention on the cover you know love's not a choice it's a disaster and the romance does play a significant role as the main character falls in love with a woman who's on the path of destiny but it's 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 not one of those you know uh, bodice ripper type of things so (laughs) Talk about uh, creating the character of Sarah. You've got like a human who has to compete with all these gods and goddesses, and that's you know that that's not easy. No, it wasn't. I had a tough time with Sarah and Fabio's relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, it was very physical, and and the emotional attachment didn't seem to work very well. And I actually had a couple of people help me out with that because I. My, my relationship in, in Breathers between Andy and Rita, it just seemed to work really well. And they had a great relationship. And it was a nice little romance that, that went on there. And again, that wasn't something I planned. But 
it just seemed very natural. And mm-hmm. this one, I was having a tough time. And, and having Sarah in there was difficult because I had so much fun in the scenes where, where Fate or Fabio was interacting with the other uh, immortals, mm-hmm. you know, having having lunch with Karma or Sloth and, and Gluttony or his interactions with Destiny or running into Lady Luck and going to hang out at, at the Greyhound, you know, Daytona Greyhound racetrack. And, and betting on horse races with her, uh, which isn't really fair because they know who's going to win and she's Lady Luck. But Sarah, it was. It was tough for her to compete with him. So I had to, I had to develop her a little bit differently and make her a little, a little unique, a little odd, a little quirky, but also really focus on, on her relationship and how she affected Fabio because she has a profound impact on his way of thinking because mm-hmm. he starts to change the way he feels about humans partly because of his relationship with her. And so that's a significant part of the book and 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 part of, of his character arc. You know, one of the things I think that works really well in terms of your prose, you almost write some like Zen Cohen things where I and I'm trying to remember some of these things where well you there's one in the uh, in the your reading where you say think uh, think malignant tumor is is the is the is the punchline there. Do you like uh, generate some of these like uh, great funny bits outside of the novel and then say, oh oh, now I can remember it. I mean, are you out there like uh, scribbling down the official <laughs> Scott Brown Zen Cone book? I mean, you could probably write a book of poetry. <laughs> yeah, mo- most of them I would say come up when that when I when I was doing the writing mm-hmm. and a lot of times like something that like that would come up uh like even with the thing about uh uh destiny is she's this and the thing about humans are they this I might have actually come up with something like that later on I'm like oh okay this is something that I think could would work really well I, to to the extent the the think 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 the the, the, the sort of the triptych of the things mm-hmm. was something that came up at one point, and I thought, oh, this is this is something that might be fun to play with. And so I would find spots where it would make sense. And, mm-hmm. and I, I did it a little bit too much and, and, and had to go and yank some out because it was a little <laughs> overwhelming. But it's fun because I would use it to, to set up, you know, most of the time the punchline was the third one. And I make fun of, I make fun of movies. I make fun of Matrix sequels. And I make fun of, of and I can never pronounce the, the movie right, uh, Jiggly. Jiggly, Jiggly, uh, Jiggly, the, the movie with with um, with Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez. So I do skewer some things, and I I make fun of historical things that happened as well, and and just individual items. But it was I don't know if I'm answering the question as to as to exactly <laughs> how I came up with them, but again, it, it just developed out of the writing. And I thought, oh, this is this is a fun little thing to do, to, to throw in here. And, and that's actually became a little bit of Fabio's voice mm-hmm. that was very different from then Andy's. And Andy is the main character in Breathers. And he was a little bit more whiny and didn't have quite an attitude. Yeah, he, you know, there's a little bit of, of sarcasm and snarkiness there. But, but Fabio is more confident. Mm-hmm. And he has more of a jaded feel to him. Mm-hmm. And he's... He's got more of an edge, and he has a little bit more of an attitude. And you know, he's frustrated with his existence too, but in a very different way. He's not lamenting it; he's he, he's grown ambivalent about it. Mm. Whereas, whereas Andy is is morose, so that creates a different thing. And, and Andy starts to become in breathers. Andy starts to embrace his zombiness, and and in this one, Fabio discovers what he's capable of doing. It's, it's a little bit of a parallel to, to his humans. And mm-hmm. it, again, I didn't plan it that way. It was just a nice little bonus. <laughs> um, he, he becomes quite a bit like his humans in that, that he's trying to become the best Fabio he can be. <laughs> yeah, the best fate he can be. And, and, and that's what he wants his humans to be as well. But unfortunately, by doing this, he's breaking a lot of rules. And so that, you know, he eventually, that has cosmic consequences. You know, one of the things that makes Fabio so much fun is that he is kind of an underdog. And, and you know, he's he's the second runner. And we get this kind of view from both above all of life, but from beneath the top of being above all of life. <laughs> Talk about creating that kind of a, it's a weird dichotomy. I'm not sure if I have an answer for that. Uh, again, you know, a lot of times it, it just, it's... 
It's things that happened as I went along. Say that again. <laughs> well, Fabio exists above all of humanity. Right. But he's not the top of the heap no. in, in terms of where he is. And, it, and so that's a kind of an interesting dichotomy because he controls the fate of 83% of humanity. And so he's the Lord and Master and above all, yet he's still kind of this downtrodden guy who you kind of want to ch- go, fate, go, get that slot, destiny. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's true. That was, it was actually fun creating the dynamic between uh, destiny and fate because they, they have this, this long term on again, off again, friends with benefits type of relationship, but he, he can't stand her mm. either. Um, but they've known each other for, you know, 200,000 years and, and that's some of the research I, I did. And, you know, you go back and you look at the evolution of, of humans. They actually started to evolve about 200,000 years ago, at least according to one. I, I, I had to pick, you know, there's, <laughs> there's some differing opinions. So I, I went with about 200,000 years. Obviously, they didn't become, you know, civilized society until, you know, just a few thousand years, you know, three, four or five thousand years uh, B.C. So you don't really get some significant evolution in terms of culture and civilization with them because they're still mm-hmm. moving their way along. But the the relationship between the two of them and and his relationship with the fact that God still is in charge of everything and and he has to he has to deal with death as well. He can't he can't interfere with death's role since he's fate. So there is a lot of there's a lot of intertwining mm-hmm. of of the different job responsibilities that everybody has as well as the fact that yeah he is he is a bit of an underdog because he doesn't like his job Mm. and he's trying to do it better but he doesn't know how to do it better within the confines that jerry has given him jerry (laughs) jerry being god um which and you understand jerry jehovah so that's that's the reason why you know and, and 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 again death is dennis so I, I I I don't know. Again, I don't know if I actually answered your question about creating that. It was, it was something that the, that that developed out of the way the story unfolded and oh, you were and where Fabio was going and and what he had to deal with. Mm-hmm. So again, it, it wasn't something that I that I structured that I said, okay, this is going to be here and I'm going to have these, these layers of government. I actually had to create a lot of that afterwards and said to, so that to give it a little bit more structure, but mm-hmm. the actual storytelling itself was a little bit more kind of fluid. Oh, one part serendipity, one part fate. Yes. Or destiny. I think you're working with, you want to be working with destiny. Huh? Yeah. I'd rather be working with destiny. You know, I'd like to live up to my full potential. Now, one of the things that's appealing about Fabio is that he really do- is every man. I mean, he really represents the bulk of humanity. And that's an interesting way of creating a character who uh, both represents, I think, all of humanity, but also has this kind of weird relationship of controlling, not controlling. Um, there's kind of a passive-aggressive uh, nature to this. And, and talk about... Uh, Creating that character and also creating the the humans who who you know are his playthings. <laughs> <laughs> I never really thought of them as playthings. Yeah, the, the 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 humans that he encounters along the way are the majority of human population, and and I do poke fun at human nature, and I do poke fun at at people not living up to their expectations, people making bad decisions, a lot of times based on 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 the consumer culture and sex and a lot of other things. And I'm not saying I'm not guilty of these things because I'm just as guilty as everyone else. It's human nature to, to do a lot of these things in there. And I think a lot of people can relate to it. I think I could, I can relate much more to the people on Fabio's path or on fate's path than, than destiny's path. Destiny's path are, are all of these people you see at, you know, winning Super Bowl MVPs and Pulitzer prizes and, and, and Golden Globes and, and inventing things like Thomas Edison and, and creating such fantastic uh, and, and, and frightening uh, science as, you know, Einstein and Oppenheimer. And, and these are the people that are, that are destined for greatness. And the majority of people don't ever experience that. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're not going to be the Beatles. You're going to be the Knack. You're going to be Vanilla Ice. 
you know, most of the people are going to be that. You know, the math might have something to say to you about that. Well, that's true. I mean, but again, I mean, they're, they're, most of the people know my Sharona. They don't uh-huh. know any other songs by the Knack. Now, there might be somebody out there who's a big Knack fan, but you know, the Beatles had such an influence, mm-hmm. and so really, it's it, you, you can't. You, I was going to say the monkeys, but the monkeys had a TV show, you know, and, and I really liked the monkeys. But really, you can't say that they were destined for greatness. Um, but, but I, I, you know, they, they, no, they, they were still, managed for for for, yeah. <laughs> for middle brow appeal. They still they still come up, but most of the people, you know, exper- experience their lives as a monkey or a Vanilla Ice or the Knack, as not, and not the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Oh sure, yeah. you know, and and so I think creating that where you can relate to it. Um, it was it, it was easy for me to relate to it and and create a way that Fabio would even though he, he at first doesn't relate to them he starts to realize that he does mm. he understands them because he's been dealing with them for so long and and it's kind of a revelation for him to to do that but but yeah it is it's every man and 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 I'm hoping that most people will enjoy reading it and and being poked fun at because you know you you kind of have to laugh there's a great quote by Oscar Wilde. And let's see if I can remember exactly what it was. It says, life is too important to take it seriously. Mm. And I think a lot of people do. They take they take things too seriously in lots of different ways. You know, you get a lot of the political correctness. And, and, and I understand the reasons for some of that. But people get so wrapped up in being so serious about things that they forget to have fun and, and laugh at themselves. And and I try to laugh at myself if as often as I can. Because you just have to. You have to laugh at your foibles and your screw-ups. And you learn a lot more from your mistakes than you do from your successes anyway. Well, you'll learn a lot more if you can learn to laugh at yourself, too. Yes. I think that's that's one of the things that uh, we experience in, in the book. You know, I, I love this. Getting back to your prose, you have in some of these koans in the poetry, you almost have a... a there's almost a mathematical nature to, to what you do. And in fact, there actually is. I mean, it's this equals this and this equals that. I mean, so I, I'm curious, uh, do you think about uh, when you're writing this book and, and on a, both a prose level and on a, you know, uberview plot level, you kind of seem to operate in somewhat the same way. <laughs> I, I, I again i don't know if i it's definitely not something i planned um but in terms of of the way that i i developed the prose for for fabio it it did become this sort of uh, uh, a use of threes frequently not even just mm-hmm. to think think and think but when he would bring up instances of something it would be in threes mm-hmm. quite frequently and it became a lot of fun to be in that way. And so I find myself blogging sometimes <laughs> with that and feeling that way. And actually when I, I, I wrote my, my, my next book after faded and, and, and I, I need to go through edits from my agent on that. Um, it's something I realized I was doing there too. I was, even though it was a very different voice, he was doing the threes again. Mm-hmm. And, and my agent actually pointed out, she said, you need to, to be careful of this because you don't want your protagonist to sound the same. And, and, and I realized that I had done that, but at the time, because I was writing, it was just, it was a fun thing to have. And I realized I can't, I, I can't have Fabio channel into um, my next main character, whose name is Nick Monday. Um, so I can't, I can't do that. But writing Fabio was so much fun. I think part of it was that it was the prose that came out of there. I, I, I can't tell you where it came from. Mm. Um, I, I, and I know that sounds kind of, I don't know, esoteric or, or, or obscure or. No, I just imagine you kind of like a surfer. <laughs> it's like you're, you're right there on the edge and, and the tail of your board is in, is in where that, those words are, is, is the words coming out. Well, I wish surfing was a better analogy, but, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I was ruined by Jaws in 1974. <laughs> and so, um, even boogie boarding is, uh, is a little difficult for me because I have a very healthy respect for the ocean and the waves and the things that, that live in the ocean because they live there and I don't. <laughs> and, 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 and I, I can get away much faster on land. Um, but, uh, but no, it's just, yeah, I, I, again, I wish I could give you a more definitive answer, to the question that you posed, but a lot of times it's, I don't tend, I don't tend to do a lot of my, a lot of thinking about my writing when I'm not writing. Mm. Sometimes an idea might come up to me and I'll, I'll jot something down or I'll send myself a little message, but most of it is when I'm sitting there in it. And when I'm, when I'm 
flowing in it, things come up. And when I'm not, they don't come up as often. And so, so all of the, all of the pros and all of the, the, the way that I came up with, with creating this, this book and creating Fabio and creating other characters and, and personifying all of them and, and coming up with the mythology and, and, and the world that I created for the most part, it all happened while I was sitting at my computer. You know, one thing that I, I like in both your books is you have an interesting sensibility of the fantastic. It's unique and I think kind of uh, uh, mundane, very low-key and mundane. <laughs> For somebody who writes zo- over-the-top, you know, parent-eating zombies and <laughs> everything and, you know, has the gods having lunch in a mall. I mean, that's wildly fantastic, but the way it reads is kind of nuts and bolts, and like I say, it's it's very mundane. And so I think that's an interesting kind of contrast that you manage. Yeah, and, and, and again, it's not something that that's, I'm necessarily conscious of. I think it's just my sense of humor. Mm. It's I think it's the way I think about things, and sometimes I don't even know the way I think about things until they come out on paper. I'm like, oh, really? I didn't, I didn't realize <laughs> that was what I thought. Uh, but but it's it's... If 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 it is if it does come across that way, again, it's it's not necessarily something that I planned, um, but it's just it's just me. It's just my voice, and it's nice to know that that it's there from book to book, mm-hmm. you know. And obviously, I'm hoping that 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 I I maintain that from from book to book and and learn to implement some new things that I've learned mm-hmm. uh, and improve my writing from book to book, and maybe attack some things in a different way so that I don't end up, I don't want to end up telling the same story over and over. And, you know, and, and there are some authors and you read it and you read it and you read a book after book and like, okay, this is the same story. There, he's just, it's a different place and, and they're different characters, but this is the same story. I don't want to have that. I want to make sure that my stories are different, but they're still darkly comedic. They have a supernatural edge and that I poke fun at people, and so long as I can continue <laughs> to find things about human beings to make fun of, then I, I can I can probably find some way to play with that and and add some sort of a, a nice darkly comedic aspect to it. Well, I don't think you're gonna, there's going to be any shortage of things to make fun of about humans. <laughs> no, no. I, so I, so long as I can I can keep coming up with specific things, that'll be fun. Uh, talk a little bit about your, your new novel. One thing I have to say is that though your novels are out. Almost instantly, you could rip the cover off of it, and I would know it's you after a paragraph. Having read, having read Breathers, I would know Faded was you after a paragraph. Um, but I think it's also really interesting how different they are, how different the universes they operate in are, how different your subjects and you know your characters are. Uh, that's a that's a this is a stretch in in many ways from from Breathers. I mean, it would have been very easy for you to just go back and write sequel after sequel to Breathers, and given the current appetite for zombie fiction, uh, maybe you should have. <laughs> maybe this is you cheating fate. <laughs> well, to, to, use, to use kind of a, a, a quote from Seinfeld in re- referring to being a zombie author, not that there's anything wrong with it, but I, I just, I, I didn't want that to be all I did. Um, I, I have a lot of different ideas that I want to explore and have fun with. And to be honest, when I wrote Breathers, I, I didn't plan on any sequel. Mm. I was done with zombies. You know, I, I'm, if I could come up with something that was fresh and didn't feel like a complete rehashing of what I'd done in the first book, then that would be great. But really, Andy's voice is what drove Breathers. And, you know, it, and unless I could have him there again with some reason mm-hmm. to, to move forward and fight for something new there wouldn't be any point in me telling the story. And mm-hmm. so unless unless it means something to me, it's not going to mean something to anybody else. Yeah, you know, if it doesn't resonate with me, if the story doesn't resonate with me, then it, it's not going to resonate with anyone else. And, and that's the only reason for me to tell a story is something that I would want to discover. And that's part of the fun of my writing is I discover the story as I'm writing it. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. there are some things that came up and faded. You know, there's some major plot points that I discovered as I went along. I didn't plan them. And, and I want them to be discoveries for the readers too as they go along. Well, I don't... that's you can we can as a reader we can really that's one of the in, 
and most enjoyable parts about your books because they do go off in directions that we absolutely do not expect, and that that's what makes it so much fun to read. Yeah, and that's and that's what I have fun with. So yeah, so I have, I have, I have. What's your new several, book about? <laughs> I can give you a, a a brief rundown. I don't want to go too much into no, it. No, not too much. Uh, just the, the, a... the title is Lucky Bastard, and it. Uh, takes place in San Francisco, takes place all in one day, and it's actually kind of a, 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 a dark comedy, action, mystery, noir book about luck. Okay. And the main character. I, yeah, I'm going to wait until a little bit for I don't. I don't want to give away too much, but, but it deals with the concept of luck and whether or not luck can be what luck can be used for. Mm. And the main character has a very unusual relationship with luck. I'll just leave it at that. I love the, your your take on, on the supernatural and the way you deal with it. I like that you bring it into your work. I like the way you bring it into your work. It's a very unique, I think, approach. Um, it's not like you, okay, um, you don't... Par- work things out in a kind of science fiction way. If this technology exists, then it's going to have these effects. You kind of just, uh, you have a character who has some vague connection to, to some, to your central supernatural premise and then let the character develop out of it. And, and what's interesting is that the, Voice, prose voice of the character also determines the nature of the supernatural aspect. Yeah, yeah, to to a definite extent, uh, as to as to how the story is going to unfold and the supernatural aspect and how that's going to be. Because if if fate had been, you know, fate slash Fabio had had a, a, I'm trying to think of an example. If he'd been, he is self confident, but it, but he he's still trying to figure some things out. If he knew exactly what he wanted to be, that would have changed. The whole structure the, of the, the whole universe. structure of the universe. Uh-huh. And so, you know, a lot of that, again, and, and I don't know how much of it is, is, is luck, how much of it is me just tapping into something that works. I don't always know how I come up with ideas and, and, and how they come out of me. Mm. You know, I, I, I've told people that ideas and, and concepts have, have come to me and, in any number of different ways. So people say, where do you get your ideas? And like, well, I, I, I can I can run off 20 different odd different th- places, sitting in a shopping mall, uh, looking at a, a, a piece of artwork uh, by at, at the Guggenheim Museum in, in Venice. Uh, a stretch of music. I, I, the, there's a line from, uh, from Green Day. Uh, Sometimes I give myself the creeps from their song uh, Basket Case. And that ended up being the opening line to a, a book or a, a chapter in Breathers because it was something that just resonated with me. Um, there's a, a musical line by uh, Beck. Uh, uh, I think the song is Lord Only Knows. Is it Lord Only Knows? Off of Odelay. And the, the song, the, the, the line goes, you've only got one finger left and it's pointing at the door. And that became the opening line somewhat changed up somewhat for a, a story I wrote that that my book Lucky Bastard is based on, which is Grandpa only had one finger left and it was pointing at the door. And so that was where I went with it. I'm like, okay, and, and then why does he only have one finger left? Why is he pointing at the door? And 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 it led on to this story. And so, and, and, and I had no idea it was going to be about luck. It just happened to come out. I'm like, oh, this seems like a good idea. Let's see what happens. What kind of art do you consume for pleasure? You You write... So do you read for pleasure? Do you watch movies? Or I know apparently you watch movies or and uh, and uh, listen to music. I do. Uh, uh, I, 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 I try to read for pleasure as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have been... Who, what are you reading now or what kind of stuff do you read? Uh, right now I'm reading, uh, because it's been on my, my to-be-read list for, for four, I think four years. Uh, I've had <laughs> Perfume by Patrick Susskind. Susskind? Yeah. Uh, the Story of a Murderer. And, and that's... It's not necessarily something I would I would normally pick up. Uh, I just recently read um, Stormy Weather by Carl Hyacin. Uh, I've, I, I love reading Christopher Moore and Chuck Palahniuk. I've got Juliet Naked by Nick Hornby to read. I've read some Tana French, which I really love her mysteries, uh, uh, In the Woods and the Likeness. Uh, I read Sharp Objects by, I think, Gillian Flynn is the name. Uh, Water for Elephants by Sarah Gruen I thought was fantastic. I'll read... 
uh, I'll read Neil Gaiman. Uh, I don't. I I recently read Doom and Key by Stephen King. Uh, I had gotten back into him after a bit of an absence, so I'll read just about. I'll try to read just about anything, but I, I like good prose. You know, even if the story is is meh. If I like the way that it's written, mm-hmm. I'll keep going. If I find it inspirational that way, I, you know, a, a voice, a style, a story, they can all inspire me in different ways. And I will usually push through a book, but sometimes you know, I, I'll give up. I'm like, you know, I, this is a long investment. This is, you know, 10, 12 hours of, of my life. Do I want to continue reading this? I don't really enjoy where this is going. And so I'll put it down. Movies. I think I get I get a lot of my inspiration from dark comedies like uh, being John Malkovich, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, quirky movies like I Heart Huckabees, and Flirting with Disaster by uh, David O. Russell. Oh, uh, Flirting with Disasters, yeah, hysterical I, and beautifully written. Yeah, I thought I love both those. And see, he's a he's a writer director, and mm-hmm. Charlie Kaufman is the writer of of adaptation and being John Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine. And I love him. I had problems with Schenectady, New York. Mm-hmm. I watched it twice. I'm like. I don't understand. So <laughs> it was so weird. I, I, I had trouble with it. But I also love Wes Anderson with the Royal Tenenbaums and Rushmore. Uh, I love the dark comedies of the Coen brothers, uh, Fargo and, and The Big Lebowski. TV, uh, I, I watched Lost. Uh, I loved The X-Files. I don't watch a lot of TV, but signed in terms of comedies, Seinfeld and Arrested Development. Mm-hmm. I, I love getting inspiration from them. I get a lot of inspiration from Green Day. Uh, I like listening to the Pixies, uh, Morphine. I like Weezer, a uh, different type of inspiration with Weezer. Um, <laughs> so those are those are some of the, you know, and I, and I love classic rock. I can listen to classic rock anytime. Some of my favorite uh, soundtracks are from Donnie Darko, which is also a movie I love, Almost Famous and High Fidelity. Mm. You know, so movies and soundtracks. You know, if, if if you get a good soundtrack with a movie I love, then I'm 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 friends for life. Well, we're hoping they're going to put a good soundtrack to the movies I'll make out of your books. And yeah. I'm sure they will. <laughs> I, I do too. <laughs> I've been speaking with Scott Brown. His new book is Faded. Thank you for joining me, Scott. Thank you, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.